Welcome to the Story Church Podcast. The Story Church Podcast is the official podcast of the Story Church Project, which focuses on redesigning Adventism from tradition to mission. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Marcus here. I want to welcome you back to the Story Church Podcast. This episode of the Story Church Podcast is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. So to check them out, go to thehaystack.org, and that is The Haystack, Life, Culture, Theology. And uh, before I dive into my conversation this, this, uh, in this episode, I also want to take a moment to thank all of my patrons who are supporting the Story Church podcast on Patreon. And if you would like to support the Story Church podcast on Patreon, then I will leave a link in the show notes. So you can click there and all the information is there. It's pretty cool. But for those of you who have chosen to back this project, thank you guys so much. You have no idea how helpful, how amazing it is uh, to be able to expand what we're doing here uh, through through your help. So it's really awesome. Now, for today's um podcast episode. We are coming for a part two conversation with Pastor Mike Ciprimanea from uh, the United States. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed him in what has rapidly become the most popular podcast in the Story Church podcast uh, archive ever. And that interview was how to free your local church from last generation theology. And what we want to do, it was a huge episode and I had a lot of questions. And so what I want to do in this episode is I just want to sit down with Mike again and I'm just going to bombard him with questions. I'm just going to go one question after another and we're going to dialogue back and forth. Uh, but we're going to try and clear some of these things and, and, and look at uh, some healthy perspectives here. Uh, just to reiterate the reason why is because uh, both Mike and I fundamentally believe that unhealthy theological ideas affect mission. And so when we have unhealthy theological ideas that are governing our local churches and our spiritual lives, it affects our capacity to be effective in personal evangelism and it affects our capacity to be effective in local church mission. And so what we're after here is really encouraging and calling the church and its members to have a healthy Christ-centered theology because that is what enables us to make the difference that God has called us to make. But anyways, uh, without further ado, I'm going to make sure that Mike is still there. And Mike, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on again, Marcus. Absolutely, man. Like I said, a huge podcast, man. Super duper popular. Um, and there was so much positive feedback. Uh, I've even had young people messaging me saying, you know, like, wow, this, I needed this, like this, you know, one particular um, message that, that we got was, uh, you know, with, with one young lady was saying that she actually felt like this episode had changed her life. Um, and so, look, there were a lot of questions that came through and I thought, let's have a part two. Let's dig into this just a little bit more um, and, and explore these concepts a little bit more and hopefully leave our listeners with just a really positive and enthusiastic vision of our faith. Uh, now before Mike, um, before I start bombarding you with the questions, cause that's what we're going to do today, guys. I'm just going to say, Mike, here's question one, here's question two, here's question three. Um, and, and we're going to have fun, but, um, before I do that, I want to promote something. Now, Mike, you and I have got something that's coming up. We haven't set a particular date for it yet, but it's definitely coming up. And 
it's basically you and I are gonna sit down on a on a separate podcast. It's not gonna be the Story Church podcast. It's gonna go okay. be through the Story Church project, but it's gonna be a separate podcast. Um, and what we're going to do is we're gonna talk about theology in general. So we're we're gonna dig deep. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, I've had this on my mind for a while uh, of actually going through kind of the entire theological. Uh, frame of, of Adventism and then putting together a way of thinking about it that um, helps us to see where we fit uh, amongst the, the rest of Christianity and why we come to the conclusions we come to in contrast with everybody else and then have a way of evaluating our theology. So if somebody says, <clears throat> excuse me, if somebody says, hey, uh, we disagree with, with point X, uh, in your theology, have a way of, of looking at it uh, to, to determine uh, whether that objection is valid and what exactly we, would we need to do to, to defend our position if, in fact, it's a valid objection. Because it might mean that we need to, to get a bunch of uh, PhD students to, to write, you know, several dissertations and you know to do the research and actually show that in fact we, we we hold the sound position but it's hard to know what needs to be done until we have this sort of overview of of the of our theology as a whole and and what the what the different aspects are that need need a stronger defense and and things like that so i think uh in my mind it seems like a, a massive conversation that that could probably take several dozen episodes at least but of course, you know, it, it, we might not be able to pull it together this time. I don't know how much time you would have to sit there and, and record. But uh, anyway, that's kind of what <clears throat> what I've had on my mind for a while. Yeah, man. And and for those who don't know, like Mike and I, we've known each other for some time. We've co-authored in the past. And, um, you know, we've, we have these conversations all the time. And so we decided, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to record a series of podcasts and um, it might be 12, it might be more, and it's going to be spread out over a certain period of time because we really want to go deep and talk about some pretty pretty deep stuff. Um, some things that Mike is really good at that my, I can't even wrap my head around. Um, <laughs> so it should be fun. It should be interesting. But um, for those of you who listen to today's podcast and you're thinking, hey, that was really interesting, but I would actually like to go even deeper, then that is going to be something that you don't want to miss because we're going to hit everything and we're going to just go really, really deep. And, uh, and if that's something that really interests you and you're thinking, I would love to hear that, then make sure you subscribe to the Story Church Project newsletter. Just go to the storychurchproject.com and you can subscribe at the bottom of the page. You get a free ebook, How to Story the Bible, Study the Bible with Postmoderns, and you will also be on the mailing list so that when these series of conversations are released, um, you will be the first to know. They're not gonna be released on this podcast though. So if you're subscribed to this podcast and not to the newsletter, you won't know that they've been released because they won't even be on SoundCloud. So make sure you subscribe to the newsletter so you know exactly when these series of conversations are released. And Mike and I are gonna talk about all things related to Adventist theology, and we're gonna go super deep and it's gonna be a lot of fun. So for those of you who are into that stuff, make sure you subscribe for that if you're not already subscribed so you can get the update when it's available. All right, so we're gonna dive into this conversation now, Mike, and, and we're going to take off from where we left off in part one of this discussion on how to, live, on how to free your local church from last generation theology. And what I want to do in this episode is I just want to ask you a series of questions related to this topic that people ask all the time. And these are questions that really affect people's personal spiritual life um, and, and also the local church's capacity to do meaningful mission. 
And so I want to just throw these questions out there and just have a conversation on them. And we're not going to be able to go super duper deep because we're going to do that in the other set of discussions that I mentioned. Um, but I want to at least give people something to sort of work with. Uh, and so, like we said in the last episode, Mike and I don't believe that the alternative to, think, to, to, to ideas like last generation theology is to go full fling on the other side and throw all the doctrines away and just, you know, believe in um, sort of this cheap grace. Like, we, 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 don't, we don't walk that line. Um, rather, we believe that there's a middle view where we can understand each of these things without discarding uh, themes that are clearly in Scripture, but just seeing them through the lens of the cross and through the and through the goodness of God, rather than through this self-centered sort of self-focused obsession, uh, and so that's what we want to do today. We want to take tackle these questions. Some of them are super duper huge, so we're just going to scratch the surface. And again, if you want to know more, subscribe to the newsletter so you know when <laughs> those other conversations come out. So here we go, Mike. I'm going to start with uh, question number one, and um, and then as soon as we've dialogued with it for a little while, I'm going to pump out question number two, and we'll just go like that. Does that sound good? Sounds good, man. All right, sweet. So when I was in, uh, when I believed in LGT, and I was uh, quite immersed in this space, uh, one of the common things, one of the common conversations that came forward was that there's that it's it's wrong to have assurance of salvation. And people would often quote um, Ellen White quote where she said that we should never be taught to say that we are saved. Um, and so this is a question that I've actually encountered from people throughout the years, not only while I was in LGT, but coming out of LGT is, you know, can we have assurance of salvation? Is it a bad thing? Um, you know, how do we understand this in light of what LGT teaches? So I'm, I'm gonna lay that at your lap and uh, see what you have to share with us. Go for it. Okay. so. Um... I think different people have different ways to answer this question. So you might have your own your own approach to it. Um, I've I've used the sanctuary uh, as a response to this to this issue, and the way I've used the sanctuary is to say, look, um, we've had Christians now for about two thousand years at least, and you could go say you know the the Israelites before the cross were also kind of in the same boat to some degree, but. Uh, for all this time, we've had we've had uh, people that you know accepted Christ. They they lived their their lives, but according to the Adventist understanding, the the Day of Atonement doesn't start until 1844. That's when the judgment begins, which means that for all this first 1800 years since the cross, um, people were not being judged. The judgment started later. So the way I understand all this, to me, like the, the implication of this whole model of salvation that we have in the sanctuary is that um, when somebody comes to Christ, they enter a covenant with God where God um, <clears throat> commits himself. God enters into this sort of contract with us to do everything in his power to, to save us, to, to help us overcome, to bring us into heaven. And the only thing that gets in the way of that is is our own will so we have this uh you know we have the freedom of choice and we have it at the very beginning of our christian walk because god doesn't force himself on us we have to come to a place in our lives where we accept jesus christ as our savior but the choice remains there all the way through and at the very end after we we've passed off the scene God has to go back and say, okay, this person made a choice initially to follow me, but what was his ultimate choice or her ultimate choice as the, as the result of 
having a lifetime to, to really think through their decision. And then God will honor that choice. But uh, this whole process happens in the judgment which started after 1844. So for this entire time before 1844, people entered into this relationship with God, this uh, covenant, but the judgment didn't take place. In other words, regardless of whether they stayed with Christ or, or, or walked away, the judgment for their own, you know, their, their own eternal destiny didn't, didn't happen because it wasn't going to take place until way back at the end of history, you know, maybe a thousand years later and so on. So I guess one way that I try to tell people uh, what, what to think regarding this uh, assurance of salvation is that um, <clears throat> we are very similar to people that believe in one saved, always saved, with the one exception that, you know, after, after we're, we're dead, after we died, when God finally takes up our case in the judgment, he does look at our choice and say, says, okay, if, if this person made the ultimate choice to turn away from Christ, then we have to honor that choice. But anytime before that, throughout our entire life, God treats us as if we're still part of his family. So, you know, there isn't this situation where we have to question or doubt our salvation or question God's love as we're going about our life if we make mistakes because we're still within that covenant and it is not until that final judgment when uh, uh, you know there there's any chance that God will say okay this person uh, is somebody that had made a decision to, to turn away from Christ so basically anyway, what you're saying is uh, yeah. that like so long as we are alive um, we are like so long as we are living God is not in the business of determining hey you misbehaved you know you're, you're no longer saved or, or you're doing good like yeah. so long as we're alive God's only concern is pouring his great grace out on us and, exactly. and it's and it's I mean, after yeah. death where where we've you know where the all decisions have been finalized where where sort of the process of judgment comes in and God can say okay so this person ultimately made the decision to turn away from me and I'm going to honor that. Um, or look, this person kept their faith in Christ and that's what matters, you know, like, yeah, exactly. yeah. So, so one way to, to do that, to explain this with an illustration would be, you know, somebody that's brought to the emergency room after having been in a serious car accident and they're, they're over there on the operating table and, you know, they're hanging on to their life. Um, and you have an entire team of physicians and nurses and every kind of technician on board trying to save their lives because once you know they die there's nothing more that can be done and that's that's kind of how we can view our lives here on earth you know we we have this lifetime and this is god's only opportunity throughout all of eternity to, to save us so while we're here god's all, all God's resources are geared towards working with us and trying to convince us, trying to reason with us to bring us to the point where we make that final decision to follow Christ and to stick with Him all the way. And once we die and there's nothing more that can be done, then God steps back and says, "Okay, let's, you know, what is what is this person's ultimate decision?" But while there's still a chance to save us, God's entire energy is, is focused on saving us. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's awesome because it, it, you know it gets rid of this idea that God is, 
in heaven and, and this is a problem that i had you know when i was involved in this sort of worldview is like you kind of picture god in heaven looking for reasons to keep you out yeah you know and yeah. you feel like you just you can never be good enough like no matter how hard you try there's always a reason why god can say nah not good enough you know um i remember when i was really really anxious because of this stuff i ran into a book by martin weber called my tortured conscience was the title of the book and I remember reading the title of that book and thinking, that's exactly, <laughs> like, that's a yep. description of me. Like, I felt like my conscience was being tortured because, you know, it's like God's in heaven sitting there like, okay, you know, uh, I'm just looking for an excuse to keep you out. I don't really want you here. Um, where it's actually the opposite, where, like, as we live while we're alive, God pours all of his energy and everything into into our redemption, into into saving us. And, and it's only, you know, once we've died that God says, okay, what was this person's final decision? Yeah. So let's go back to the original statement. You know, Ellen White and, and you know, uh, probably LGT supporters might say, hey, we're not supposed to ever claim that we are saved. And in a sense, that's true because God will evaluate that final decision. We can't say now, hey, it doesn't matter what happens from here on, I'm definitely going to have them because they're, you know, in the final judgment after we're dead, God is going to look at our lives and say, this person made one decision or the other. So in that sense, yes, it's true. We cannot have that assurance, that absolute assurance. But in another sense, we can have this complete assurance that God is on our side. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, regardless of where we might be at that moment in time, maybe we've done something horrible and we're feeling really guilty, but we're still alive and God still has the chance to save us. And that's what he's worried about. Yeah. That's, he's and, trying and, and to, I, yeah. And I want to clarify something here because some people listening to this might, might be like, Oh, wait a minute. What do you mean? We can't know for sure, like that we're going to heaven. And, and I want to make something really clear here. Like there is not a single theological system in Christianity where you can know for sure that you know that you're going to heaven if you're looking at it from the perspective of, of a human so for example if you look at Calvinism Calvinism teaches that people who go to heaven go to heaven because God has elected them to go to heaven before they were even born and so God chooses who goes to heaven and who goes to hell and nobody can change those decisions so according to Calvinism if God chose you before the foundations of the earth that you were gonna go to heaven then you're going to go to heaven. And if he didn't choose you, then you're not going to go to heaven. Um, and so a Calvinist will claim, you know, if you're of the elect, then you know 100% for certain that you're going to heaven. But the problem with that is that how do you know you're in the elect? Like, yeah. you know, what, what, what do you do? Like, how do you determine, oh, I am one of the elect versus I'm one of the ones who was chosen to go to hell? Like, how do you know? Because a person can have really good works in their life, which some Calvinists will say, you know, the works are the evidence. Um, and then in the end, you know, actually turn out to be uh, a really wicked person to which the Calvinist would say, oh, he just had an appearance that he was elect, but he wasn't really, you know, and it's like, well, then how do you really know that you're elect? Like, there's no way to really know. And then you have one saved, always saved, which teaches, look, you can select, you know, you, God doesn't choose who goes to heaven or who goes to hell. But he does say um, that once we choose him, we can never unchoose him. So it's basically like you have free will to choose him. But once you've chosen him, you can't unchoose him. And, and the problem with this system of thought and with people that I've encountered is um, how, how do you know that you've ever really truly chosen him? 
you know like and that's a problem that yeah. people have like people will say well you know the bible says that if you you know if you if you confess jesus and you know then you're saved and that's the end of the story and it's like well how do i know that i really genuinely confessed him how do i know that it wasn't all fake yeah. you know that it, that it wasn't all phony um and then you have arminianism which says look you have freedom of will to choose christ and you have freedom of will after you've chosen christ to turn away from christ and and so then the and this is where adventism falls into the arminian camp and so then the question is um, how can you have assurance of salvation in that model? And, and, I, and I like the answer that you gave, like the assurance of salvation that we have is not based on us, it's based on the promises of God and the promises that he's made. And this is really the context of what Ellen White's talking about uh, because she's talking about Peter in that particular quote where Peter was you know, so sure that he was never gonna betray Christ, but his assurance was based on his own strength. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't based on God's promises. And so, yeah. you know, you've got people who walk around and say, well, I go to church all the time and I pay my tithe. So I know I'm going to heaven. And it's like, well, that doesn't really work. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. whatever assurance we have has to be based 100 percent in the fact that God makes promises and he keeps them, not on how good we're behaving or, or how good we, you know, how, how well intentioned our Christianity is. Yeah, uh, you know, just since you're mentioning Armenianism, um, you know, <laughs> Armenianism has this idea that you could choose Christ and then still choose to turn away from him. And, and the difficulty with that system, even though it is in principle correct, is on a practical level, um, how do you really know whether you might have chosen to walk away from Christ or not? Mm. Uh, because, you know, Say you're walking walking with Christ for a few years, and then you slowly, maybe just stop really having your your regular time with God, and whatever happens, and you know six months later you're back to your old self, and then you wonder like, have I made that choice? And if I've made that choice, does that mean that God has abandoned me? And if God has abandoned me, what chance do I have of ever coming back? Because you know without without the Spirit working in my life. Uh, I'm not going to be able to repent, and you know maybe maybe I've already pretty much lost it because I've somehow made that choice to walk away. And there's this sense of insecurity in Armenianism, and this is something that Adventism fixes through the sanctuary because that kind of thing just doesn't happen throughout our lifetime. There's never a time when God says you've gone far enough to where I'm not going to waste my time on you anymore while we're still alive. This is basically God's last opportunity in eternity to save us, and that's the only thing he's focused on. Yeah, so. and, and I think really the bottom line, um, you know, we, we, we can look at this um, theologically, as we have been doing, where we, where we sort of dissect the idea and, and, and look at it from different angles and, and try and be as fair and square with, you know, all the different bits and pieces and the elements. Um, and then there's this just a simple perspective that at the end of the day, it's about the promises of God, right? Like yeah. when we give our lives to Christ, you know, if, if we want to get all deep and technical about it, like you have the freedom of choice, you know, to, to give your life to Christ and you have the freedom of choice to walk away from him at some point later in your life. And, and God will always honor our decisions. Like he doesn't force himself on us like some divine dictator. Um, and so again, at this rate, you know, at this point, most people ask, you know, like, so how can I have assurance of salvation? And what I find is that usually the assurance of salvation that people are asking for is like, how can I know um, for myself that I'm going to heaven? And, and they're kind of looking to themselves throughout the whole process to try and figure out like, 
how do I know if I'm going if I'm going to be saved? And really, ultimately, it's about the promises of God. Like it's looking at His promises and putting your faith in His promises. That is the thing that gives us assurance. You know, it's it's not a yeah. it's not a technicality. It's not like a card that we pull out of our pocket and show to God when we get to heaven and say, "See, you know, here's the technicality, the theological technicality. You've got to let me in because God is fundamentally for us. He's He's not against us." And that's the problem with you know systems like LGT is you start with this idea that God is not for you but against you and then it's like well you know how do you ever know if you're really going to heaven when there's this god who's just sitting up there looking for reasons to keep you out it's like yeah. no man he's he's looking for reasons to get you in you know like that's that's all he you know he just he wants you there for eternity and once we base our assurance on him and on his character and the way he feels about us and what he's doing in our lives it's a totally different story than you know is there a technical, you know, is there a, is there a loophole in theology like one saved, always saved, or predestination, or, or yeah. is there something I have to do? You know, no, he is for us, plain and simple. And, and to be honest, I mean, I would do that for my own kid. Hmm. And I'm 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 a, an evil human being, nothing nothing like like the God of the universe who who is who is the very essence of love. And and you know, if if my kid went astray. And I had opportunities to try to save him. I, w I would fight for that until his last breath or my last breath, really. Because, you know, if there's any chance that I could save him, I would. Yeah. And uh, so that's, if we as simple human beings would, would have that kind of attitude towards somebody that's dear to us, how much more, you know, uh, when it comes to God. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, uh, as is true of, of most, um, I don't know, how do I word this? Uh, it's not just LGT that does this. I think we all do this. When it comes to a, a theological, like a pet idea that we have, we, we, we pick and choose what we want to support our ideas. And, and this is true of LGT, you know, like, like I said, this was a common quote, even though the context was being ignored, that Ellen White was talking about self-reliance instead of God-reliance. But, you know, there's so many statements elsewhere in her writings where she's very clear that, you know, you can have assurance of salvation and, and that you can, you can know, not based on yourself, but based on God's promises. Um, I, I'm, I remember loosely one, and look, I'll, I'll copy and paste them in, in the blog um, under this in, in case people want to look them up, where she's writing to the, um, I believe it's delegates at the General Conference, and she says, um, you, you, you don't need to stand where you, where you ask or where you say, I don't know whether I am saved. And, and, and then she says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then rejoice, you know, like, because it's, it's his promises. And so the warning is, don't base your salvation, your assurance on some loophole, some theological technicality where you can be like the son of the devil and be like, hey, but I believe, you know, in Jesus. Like I had a friend in the army who was like, he was always sleeping around. He got kicked out for doing drugs. He was just an all around hedonist. And I asked him one day, I was like, um, hey, bro, do you ever worry like about your eternal salvation? It was kind of a bold thing to ask, you know, <laughs> but I was young. I was like 19 and... I was like, hey, do you ever worry about your eternal salvation um, to this guy who I'd never talked about God before? And his response blew my mind. He was like, oh, you know, I'm not worried about it because I got saved at a youth rally four years ago. You know, and so and so this is an example of someone who has absolute like assurance of salvation, like he is not going to be lost. But, you know, in his head. But then at the same time, it's like, 
this belief, you know, this loophole, theological loophole, is the same reason why so many millennials and post-millennials want nothing to do with church because you've got people who gather at church and sing about how forgiven they are and how they're going to heaven and then they turn around and they abuse their wives and they mistreat migrants and they're racist they're they're racist as but hey i'm washed by the blood right so i'm going to have you know what i mean and like millennials and post-millennials particularly from the secular culture they look at this and they see like that christian theology is just a it's basically a theological loophole to make you feel like hey you're going to heaven when when you're just like the biggest scoundrel on the earth you know and 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 so there's a balance to be had there because like we've been saying like salvation and we'll touch on this a little bit more because we're moving on to the next question but salvation is is the work of jesus right it's the promises of god there's nothing that we can add to it and that's the problem with lgt is this idea that we can add you know it's what jesus did plus what i do um but then at the same time you have to be careful not to turn salvation into a formula that you can name it and claim it and then you know like you're good to go even though in your life you're still fundamentally self-centered and you could care less about other people and you could care less about God, but you've got this loophole that's gonna get you to heaven. Um, and I think that's what the Adventist system says, like, ah, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, but at the same time, it's not at the extreme like you find in, in classical Arminianism where you kind of can't really know, you know? It, it's, it's, it's like, hey, look at the promises of God, focus on the promises of God and, and live by that. And, and that's where our assurance comes from. But yeah. look, I, you wrote a really amazing article. I'm going to lo- link it in the show notes because some people might be like, hey, I still don't get how the sanctuary fits into this. And, you know, there's some confusion there. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, you wrote an article called How Adventism Ended the Gospel Wars. I'm going to link that in the blog and in the show notes so people can click on that and read it. And we'll talk in more detail about this in the other podcast that we'll be doing. But I'm going to jump on to question number two because this is a big one. Um, and so this is one that's really common in LGT as well. And it's one that a lot of people um, dialogue about with a lot of energy, <laughs> and and and, yeah. and it's it's intense. Um, was the atonement, Jesus' atonement, completed at the cross? Like, did he finish his work, um, or is he still finishing his work? Like, how do we? Yeah, that's that's a big tension. So let's talk about that. You know, actually, for me, that's probably the easiest one of all. Even though I'm not sure if. You know, if an LGT supporter was listening, they would agree necessarily. But um, if you if you read the the history around the questions on doctrine back in the 60s, that is one of the biggest questions that got Andreas and upset with the whole process. And to me, that's kind of a silly thing to get upset over because we're dealing with a war award atonement. It's a term. It's a theological term, and in theology you can take any word and, and assign a certain meaning to it and then whatever meaning you assign that's what the word means in your particular situation and then somebody else might come and use the same word to mean something else now people will say well you know let's use the terminology as it is in scripture but in scripture it's not very well defined i mean you have in the Old Testament, you have situations where somebody makes an atonement for the house and somebody makes an atonement for a piece of clothing, I believe, or different things like that. And in the New Testament, I think there's only one or two verses where the word even shows up. So, you know, we have different different uh, ways to understand the word. But when it comes to um, talking about this topic with the, within the wider Christian community, with, with the 
evangelicals and others. Um, my question is, what exactly do we mean by atonement? You know, so if by atonement we're referring to what had to be, what payment had to be made for us to be saved, then that's very simple. That was all completed at the cross. In other words, Jesus died uh, on the cross for our sins, and there isn't anything more that I need to add to it as payment for my own salvation. So there isn't any works, or there isn't uh, any any works of my own, or any special works like like in in the Catholic Church where the saints, you know, they earn merits, and then those merits can be hand it off to people that need them. You know, there isn't somebody like a co-redeemer like Mary that needs to uh, add something to my salvation, any, any of that. Basically, you know, whatever Jesus did on the cross, that is sufficient to, to, to be considered a, a, an acceptable payment for my sin. Yeah. And if we define the word atonement as just that, then sure, that was completed on the cross. Now, people like Andreas and don't use that definition. They they take the word and they apply it to something much wider, which is sort of like basically dealing with everything from the moment Adam and Eve fell into sin until the very end when we're taken back to heaven and restored. So he has this broad definition of atonement. And if we're going to use that definition, then no, definitely wasn't completed on the cross. So it's just a matter of which definition you're using, and there's no re reason really to get uh, stuck in the, into this thing where was it completed at the cross or was it not completed at the cross? Really good answer, man. And um, yeah, that's I think you're right. It, when you understand that for Adventists, the term has a broader meaning um, than for other Christians, then it becomes a really simple thing to answer. Like Ellen White has statements, for example, where she's very clear that the atonement was completed at the cross. You know, she talks about the father bowing, um, in acceptance of the son's gift because it was perfect, it was complete, you know, it was finished. Uh, everything that was done that was needed for our salvation was accomplished right there and then. Like, there's nothing that, that needs to be added to it. Uh, but Adventists, under, and so if, if by atonement all we mean is Jesus accomplishing what's necessary for our salvation at the cross, then yes, it's all done. But if by atonement we mean the entire universe being brought back into harmony with God's design of love, then that hasn't happened yet. And I think yeah. Adventists understand atonement not just as Jesus providing our salvation at the cross, which was done 100%, but we understand it as the whole universe being back in harmony, like this, this one pulse of love beating throughout creation. And, and, and this is the thing that governs everything. Like, we're not there yet, you know? Like, we haven't arrived there because the great controversy hasn't ended. And so, in one sense, we can say the atonement's completed at the cross because Jesus did it, you know? And in another sense, we can say it's not finished yet because the universe isn't back into harmony with the law of love yet. And so, there's still an ongoing process. Um, yeah. So, yeah, excellent answer. We'll move on to question three because you're right. I think that's a, you know, once you understand the difference in how we use the terminology, it becomes a really easy question to answer. Yeah. Um, so, but question number three is probably the one that if, the, if, if you're listening to this episode and you've never struggled with last generation theology, you're going to look at this and you're going to be like, man, this is really overcomplicated. Like, why are you guys even talking about this? Like, just talk about Jesus and get it over with, right? <laughs> um, but if you have been in last generation theology, then you kind of have to go through some of this stuff, even though it might seem a bit overcomplicated. And so those listening who have been in that camp or who probably are currently and are trying to get out, this, this is going to be a very meaningful question. 
And the question is, how do we understand this whole close of probation thing? Because that's a big thing in LGT is that in order for us to, to be saved, we have to reach a state of sinless perfection before probation closes. Now, this is a huge question, and we're going to talk about this in lots of detail in our, in our separate podcast, the other conversations that we'll be having. But just give us like a brief overview, like how can someone navigate this? Because this is really, really damaging to a lot of people's spiritual walk. Um, I, I mind that kind of bouncing this one back to you because I think you, you have a better short answer. Um, I tend to get a little bit too complicated with this one because I think uh, ultimately for somebody that's really struggling with this, there's a set of um, several ideas that need to be sort of tweaked for all, all of it to come together and make sense. Um, but anyway, for, for me, the question starts with uh, what exactly is the purpose of this close of probation anyway? And um, uh, because I, you know, like we were talking in the previous episode about this whole scheme that, that LGT has produced where um, everything revolves around this battle between good and evil where the defining um, blow on God's side of it is to show that here's a group of human beings that pretty much left to themselves, Satan going at him the same way he went at Christ in the wilderness, throwing his best temptations at them, and they just simply refused to sin, refused to give in. They lived this perfect life, and that's the final blow, and that's how he, he manages to overcome. And once <clears throat> once you realize this, this scheme actually falls apart because it's just, it's anti-gospel, it's, it's unbiblical, it's, uh, it's incoherent really when, when you consider the implications of it. Um, then why exactly do we even need a close of probation anymore? Why, why do we need this whole thing to take place? What's the purpose of it? And really, uh, when we look at the great controversy, apart from the whole LGT paradigm, then uh, the purpose of, of the close of probation is simply that there has to come a time when people are no longer on the fence when it comes to their decisions. So, you know, at, at, at this moment in time, people are, are, are accepting Christ, they're growing in faith, they're sometimes walking away from Christ, they're coming back later, repenting of, you know, maybe some, some years past, and they come back to Christ. People go back and forth, but every, every person at some point in their lives makes their final decisions and then they either walk away from Christ for good or they stick with Christ no matter what. And the idea of the close of probation is that God will at some point make arrange things in such a way so that people make that final decision around the same time because as of now people are making their decisions at different points in time, different points throughout their lifetime. So in order for Jesus to be able to come back, they, God needs to unstagger those decisions. So anyway, I'm going to stop here, see if you have anything else you wanted to say, because I know you, you had some thoughts on this the last time we talked. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, again, you know, like if, if you're someone who's never, ever been, you know, under the spell of LGT, then this whole question is just an overcomplication. Um, but if you have been under that spell, then this is actually this is actually the main thing that you think about. Like, will I be perfect by the close of probation? 
um, will I be part of the 144,000, you know, who are perfect? Um, you know, if I'm not perfect by the close of probation, but I've been in church all my life and I've been doing my best, does that mean that it was all for nothing? Um, what happens if, you know, after the close of probation, I sin? You know, like all of these questions, like, and I got to be honest, they are overcomplications. And they're overcomplications because that's what LGT does. It overcomplicates the gospel. It takes the beautiful, simple message of God's salvation, and it adds all these elements to it that are just entirely unnecessary. Um, but this is not to say that there isn't a theme of a close of probation, because that is a theme. Um, that is a biblical theme. That's not to say that there yeah. isn't a theme of, you know, the, the perfection of Christian character, because that is a theme in Scripture, you know. Um, it's just the way LGT frames them that just, it, it, it leaves you in a state where you become a navel gazer, uh, basically, where you're constantly looking at yourself and, and, and wondering, you know, am I ready? Am I ready? Am I ready? And I'm just laying the foundation here. Um, and, and when I was in this camp, and, and I believe I mentioned this in episode one, like you just, you could never lighten up because you were always afraid of losing your salvation. You know, like you could never just loosen up and enjoy life because, you know, close of probation is coming and you better be perfect or else God's not going to accept you. Um, and so this is what leads um, LGT to this very self-focused obsession um, with with ourselves and with our works and, and and this is where people ask you know do you have to re a state, reach a state of sinless perfection before the close of probation and look I'll give a short answer because we're gonna talk about this in more detail in in, in the other um, series of conversations that we'll have um, so remember guys if you want to follow that make sure you subscribe to the Story Church Project newsletter anyway um, that was my plug um, my answer is I don't reject the doctrine of perfection of Christian character. I don't, I'm not against it. Um, what I reject is the idea that you absolutely have to reach this finish line or else God's not going to ultimately save you because that takes salvation out of what Jesus has accomplished for us and put it square, puts it squarely on what we can accomplish in ourselves. So basically at the end of the day, you end up with this idea that, you know, salvation is what Jesus did plus what I do. That's yeah. salvation, right? And it's a very Catholic and Mormon version of salvation where it's not, you know, it's, it's faith and works. Like we're saved by faith and works, which is totally different from the biblical model where we're saved by faith that works. They're totally different, you know? The distinction between saved by faith and works and saved by faith that works is completely, <laughs> they're miles and miles and miles apart from one another. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I would say, look, I, I believe in the profession of Christian character and I, and I can talk about that at length, but... Um, this idea that you've got to reach this finish line of absolute perfection um, is, is no. Like, I don't believe that at all. Because again, you know, like the fact is that Jesus lived a perfect life and he died as a as, as, as sacrifice for us. And the book of Colossians is clear that when we put Jesus on, we stand before God as though we had never sinned. So we're perfect before God, and that perfection is, is a gift that Jesus covers us with. It's not something that I manufacture on my own in order to add to what Jesus did so that God can look at me and be like, oh yeah, you're safe to save. You know, like that's utter nonsense. And so yeah. now this doesn't mean that I think perfection is 100% purely 
you know, um, uh, you know, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I got to be careful how I phrase this because this conversation can get really hairy and, and confusing. Um, yeah. I do. I, basically, what I'm saying is I do believe that when Jesus covers me with his perfection, that I progressively grow into that as well. Like my daily practical life changes to reflect what Jesus has accomplished for me. And, and I believe that 100 percent. And I, and I don't know, maybe maybe because I'm I don't know, maybe because I'm a millennial. And, and like I said earlier, like as millennials, we have this aversion to this Christianity that's very cheesy, where people are always singing about how forgiven they are. And, and, and yet they still fundamentally treat mistreat each other. Um, you know, we look at, you know, generations like the Southern Baptists in America during the days of slavery. And, you know, these guys celebrated their assurance of salvation, but then they had slaves that they treated like animals, you know. And so I, I believe that there is a transformation that takes place that where we begin to actually reflect the love of God in the way we treat others and the way we view ourselves and, and you know, in the way we interact with society, we, we become and upside down people to the cultures around us. Um, but to say like, hey, you've got to reach this finish line of perfection. Like here's the, you know, you got to get there or else, you know, when probation closes, then that's it for you. Like, no, I, I think that's nonsense. And really, I don't even look, I don't even think you need a dissertation that goes through all the biblical proofs to show you how baloney that idea is. Just look at what it's done in people's lives. Like it doesn't produce what it claims to produce that belief. It does the opposite. Yeah. You, you, you know, you become uptight, you become um, judgmental, you become a, a difficult person to be around. Uh, you, you can't enjoy life. You, you know, people who's, and as a pastor, I see this all the time, people whose kids have been raised in this environment where their parents believe this stuff, those kids are out the door of church the first chance they get, you know? And it's like, oh, well, you know, they just weren't committed. No, like there's a difference between being committed to the beauty of God, the story of God's heart and being bombarded with overwhelming, you know, requirements that God himself doesn't require. That is just going to drive people nuts. So that's a very sort of like surface answer. I haven't gone into, you know, the deep theological pieces, the Lego pieces that we have to put together. Um, but hey, let, let me jump in and say one, one other thought with this whole thing. Sure. Um, there's something very interesting about even the way LGTers reason through this. Um, they apply this only to the final generation, mm. which means that for you know 6,000 years or whatever it's been, people did not have to reach perfection to be saved. Mm. So you know they accepted Christ, they, they continued to walk with Christ, they died while they still have you know, various flaws in their character, and yet they were saved, and, and LGT supporters will admit to that. It's only this final generation that reached this stage, and according to them. So the question is, why? Why does this one group of people have to have to reach perfection while everybody else prior to that was saved through Christ's merits alone and didn't have to reach any particular stage as long as they, they were still growing and, and maturing in Christ? And the only way to, for them to answer this is within their, this, this whole scheme that they have where this final generation has to reach it because they have to gain this victory over Satan. And, you know, sometimes they come around, they say, well, it's not through your own strength. You know, we're not saying that we're going to reach perfection to our strength. It's, it's God that's doing it. But then they run into another problem because now they're blaming God for the delay. 
Mm. If God is the one doing it, why hasn't he done it already? Like maybe a hundred years ago, so we could yeah, be in heaven by now. Yeah. You know? That so is a it's just this fantastic point, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, this very, that. very <laughs> twisted scheme that they have and everything, all of it falls apart the minute they they move away from this whole paradigm of, of uh, you know, defeating Satan. And then we can actually look at perfection in the biblical sense and say, wow, you know, this is a beautiful thing that we can all aspire to. You know, today I, I preached on uh, Philippians 3 about pressing towards the mark, mm. you know, forgetting those things which are behind and just pressing forward. Yes. Perfection stands before us, the character of Christ stands before us, and it's an awesome thing that it's with, within our reach. You know, it's not impossible like other Christians believe. And that's it. And we can mm. just rejoice in that instead of, concerning ourselves as to whether you know what if probation is going to close and i'm not going to make it there and then i'm lost even though in every other respect i'm i've, I've had countless victories or whatever and it gets even worse because you know like I, I i was recently talking to someone who said um it's not just the close of probation but but the judgment of the living starts with the house of god so probation might not have even closed for the general population, but it might have closed for me personally because the judgment of the living started and I'm a, an Adventist and my judgment started and maybe I'm not perfect now, so basically I'm lost and history keeps on going for who knows how many more years. And that kind of thinking is extremely, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's its unhealthy to say the least, but its it's probably, that's, that's a very light way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, it could it could drive a person to lose their lose their sanity even. Oh yeah, to think absolutely. That, you know, to think that God has already closed the door of probation on them, um, you know, just because they happen to God happened to to come across their name in the books of heaven at some particular date, and you know, that it's over for them. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, so, anyway. and this is this is something I, I mentioned briefly last time that um, my wife was raised believing, and um, when she was about uh, when she was a teenager, I don't remember a particular specific age, but um, yeah, it, it led her to to want to commit suicide because you know she believed, hey, you know, like what if the probation closes or 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 what if my names come up in the judgment already and I wasn't good enough, um, and this was stuff that people and this is what annoys me. It annoys me when people who defend LGT will say, oh, but LGT doesn't teach that. And, and my response to that, because like I said, I, I don't want to get into this giant ping pong battle over what LGT actually teaches versus what it doesn't, because everybody has their own idea of what it teaches. So it's not really the label itself of LGT that I'm after. It's these ideas, because regardless of whether you think LGT teaches this stuff or not, people in Adventism believe this stuff. That's the bottom line. Like people yeah. believe it. And... You know, my, my wife was raised with these ideas and then, you know, one day she reads the book um, Messages to Young People, you know, with all kinds, you know, like, and, you know, like, I'm not going to get into that discussion now because it's a whole other topic, but Messages to Young People is a compilation, um, not, not a very uh, healthy compilation, I would, I would add. Um, it wasn't compiled by Ellen White, by the way, um, but it's a compilation and it just includes, like, almost every bad thing you can do, you know? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and so, like, she's reading this book and she, she comes across this passage. And, of course, she doesn't know how to contextualize. She doesn't know how to think broadly. You know, she's just a kid who's been raised with these ideas, very fundamentalist perspective. And she reads, like, you know, that you, even picnics are bad. And she's like, dang, if you can't even go on a picnic because that's sinful, then, geez, like, 
I'm done. Like I'm screwed. There's no way I'm gonna be safe. And and so you know like. Her dad had to had to had to grab her because she was walking up and down a driveway with a knife in her hands, wanting to slit her wrist. Like this is what these ideas do in in the most extreme cases, yeah. and in the cases where they don't go that far, it just fundamentally damages your ability to relate to other people, to relate to God in a healthy way. It damages your local church's capacity to reach out to people who are really hurting, who are really broken, who are, you know, stuck in the mire of sin because you're too busy trying to get holy. You can't be around these people, you know? You can't be around yeah. drug addicts and prostitutes when you're trying to get yourself holy. You don't want your family, you don't want your kids, you don't want your husband, your wife around these things because what if it influences them? And so then we create these little bubbles where the church becomes a fortress instead of a hospital for sinners like it's meant to be because we're too concerned about our own perfection. And, uh, yeah. and these ideas are problematic. And so I would say, um, and we'll move on to the next question now because we're, we're, we're running tight on time. Um, but I would say, yeah, look, um, we'll talk about this more in our separate, you know, um, podcast where we dig into the, um, you know, the, the Lego pieces, so to speak. Um, but I would say to anyone, you know, like, look, perfection is a beautiful biblical doctrine because it's all about love. It's all about God's love you know flowing through you like a river to other people that's what perfection is like jesus jesus when jesus brings up perfection what is he, he the context he says you know be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect and if you read the verse before what does it say it says that god loves his enemies you know so yeah. so how is he defining the perfection of god he's defining the perfection of god through the love that god has even for those who hate him and and that's what that's what it is you know and when you look at the broad context today even the political context in america not so much here in australia people here don't care about politics but um it is happening here but certainly more in america where you know the, the, whatever your political ideology is it's you know it's based it's fundamentally defined by who you're for and who you're against you know it's like well here are the enemy if you're if you're you know on the left then your enemies are all those people on the right you know all those people who who don't believe in immigration reform and you know um all those christians you know and fundamentalists like you hate those people and if you're on the right then you hate all those people who are fighting for trans rights and gay rights and you know all these different and it's like regardless of which position you take you're you're fundamentally choosing to polarize yourself and choose who is worthy of your love and who isn't um and and really the biblical doctrine of perfection is basically saying that god wants his people to transcend those ridiculous childish self-centered ideological structures and love unconditionally to the people who are around us and we lose that when we make perfection about our moral behavior and usually um to make a final point on this in lgt camps what i have found is that perfection is usually tied exclusively to personal piety so perfection is, is not about how deeply I love the people who are most difficult to love. Perfection is, have I stopped eating cheese? Perfection is, have I stopped drinking coffee, right? Perfection is, have I embraced dress reform? So now I wear, you know, if I'm a woman, I wear skirts like I belong in the 1920s. You know, like that's perfection in those circles. And so I don't remember if I mentioned this in episode one or not. So I bear the, uh, the, the risk of repeating myself here. But the book Creeping Compromise that came out in, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s, which was a book about how Adventism, the world was creeping into Adventism. It was all about these ridiculous people are wearing wedding bands and women aren't wearing one piece bathers to the beach anymore. And, you know, like that's all the book was about. And it's like you, 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 you think the world's creeping into the church now. Like, you know, <laughs> there's bigger things that are happening that are fundamentally more meaningful. But that's what happens, man, when you, you get obsessed with personal piety and, and then perfection just becomes about, you know, those ridiculous little things. 
and you lose sight of how beautiful the biblical narrative of perfection really is. But anyways, we got to move on because we can't we can't linger there. Um, we're running out of time. I've got another question. All right, so this is a big one, Mike. This is a big one. I've had people ask me this. I wrestled. Oh man, I struggled with this one so bad. This one drove me nuts for years. Um, I would have to say that this is probably the one that messed me up the most. Question number four. Must I remember and confess every sin or else God will bring it against me in the judgment? And just, by, know, just I, by, as a heads right. up, by the way, I think we got three minutes for that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, luckily I don't have anything to say, so you might be the one that's going to have to answer that one. But uh, interestingly enough, I've heard that question many times, and for whatever reason, even though I've, I've struggled with pretty much every other thing LGTers struggle with, that's something that never really appealed to me as something you know that I really need to take seriously. Mm-hmm. And I, I think maybe because I've always viewed perfection in, term, in terms of character as opposed to deeds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even when I was into this mindset of, you know, having to, to overcome, it wasn't so much all, you know, You've, you've done all these things and you've got to bring each item one by one and uh, confess it to God and then go and make restitution to some individual if you need to or ask forgiveness or whatever. But it was more in terms of having, uh, you know, overcoming, having a, a Christ-like character, that kind of thing. So um, I don't know, for, for whatever reason, that that wasn't something that really affected me as much as others but i'm sure That's you good <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah if you struggle with oh, it you man. probably have yeah, a, look, a good answer for that one i can't promise you that this is necessarily something that lgt explicitly teaches mm-hmm. um but it certainly revolves re, 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 um yeah around those circles is this idea and there's a, a quote by ellen white where she says that any sin that is unconfessed remains in the record of heaven and so people take this and they're like, oh, so you've got to remember every single sin. And, and, and look, it's a, it's a ridiculous idea. And there's a, there's a totally different way of understanding what Ellen White meant that is gospel-centered and not you know, yeah. this legalistic thing. So um, you can imagine someone who, um, I think it's Tim Jennings who uses this example. So I'm borrowing this from Tim Jennings. And, um, and it's, you can imagine someone who is uh, a thief and who who goes to jail for for being a thief you know for robbing stores or houses and stuff and when he gets out from jail he meets christ and he becomes a christian and um he 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 completely renounces his thievism i don't know let's call it that right Uh, he, he completely renounces that way of life and he becomes a very honest person like you said his character is fundamentally changed into Christ's character and he's honest and um, trustworthy person. He even pays extra on his taxes just to make sure that, you know, he's he's not missing something. Like he just becomes a completely different person. And then um, on the day of judgment, God stands before him and says, look, I'm so glad that you made a change and that you accepted Christ. But, you know, here's the problem. When you were eight years old, you stole a bubble gum from a store and you never confessed that to me. So I can't actually let you in. Right, and yeah. and so you yeah. you see automatically with the problem. <laughs> what happens with this idea is that you basically become saved by how good you are at confessing. Yeah, and and that would be my encouragement to anyone who's listening to this. I don't care what idea is thrown at you. Anytime salvation leaves the realm of Christ's work for you and enters the realm of what you do, you know something's off. Yeah, 
And um, so how do we understand what Ellen White is saying? I think it's, it's actually quite simple. Um, and that is that, you know, for example, say, say I have um, let me let me let me point out just three things just for the sake of conversation, right? I'm oversimplifying things here, but I, it, it will be accurate nonetheless. So say in my life, I struggle with pride. I'm a proud person and I struggle with lust. I'm a lustful person and and I struggle with um, uh, I don't like immigrants. You know, I just hate immigrants. You know, I just uh, I'm a nationalist. All right. Mm -hmm. say, say those are three three major things in my life that I really, really struggle against. Um, what, what, when I come to Christ and I say, all right, Christ, um, I want to be saved. And I say, Lord, here, here's the reality. I'm, I'm practically racist. I don't like people who are different from me. Um, I'm very arrogant, very proud. I, I mistreat the people around me because of my pride and my arrogance. And and I'm very, I'm a lustful person, Lord. And I want you to take that and I want you to change that. I want you to change that in me, right? That's what Ellen White's talking about. She's not saying that I need to go and say, all right, Lord, well, here's a giant list of every single racist act I ever committed, every single lustful moment I've ever had. Um, you know, September 22, 1987, I checked out this girl's legs and, you know, October 27, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is, and it's, it really just boils down to authenticity. It's the authentic spiritual walk. And anyone who is authentically pursuing Christ will of instinct naturally say, Lord, here are the areas where I really fall short. And I'm confessing them to you because I want you to change me, right? And that's that's natural. That's normal. Like you almost don't even have to mention that, you know. Um, yeah. Let's let's kind of play with your example a little bit. You know, let's yeah. say this person comes to Christ, and you know they they have these three areas where they're struggling. Um, so they come and they give their loss to the Lord, mm. and they give their pride to the Lord. Mm. But for whatever reason, they can let go of their their prejudice, mm -hmm. okay? And they just hold on to that because for whatever reason, they they refuse to, to accept the fact that, you know, somebody from a different country or a different skin color is equal to them and, and all that. That's the kind of thing I think Ellen White is bringing out, that you can't leave aspects of your life unconfessed. Mm. And it's not that God is going to hold, you know, keep you out for because of that but it's more that if you hold on to these things eventually they'll overpower every every positive thing that that the gospel accomplished in your life that's right you know yeah, if you yeah. if you just stick on to this thing and you continue to hate people even though you know deep in your heart that that is not what god wants you to do eventually that's going to become your your everything you're yeah. going to become the hateful person that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and I said like that's ex that's exactly the point that she's making. And and even then, and I say it's oversimplified um, because even then, like human beings, like we're fundamentally we're so complex. Like there's things in your life that you don't even know are there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's there's faults in your life that you don't even know are there. And so this is why, really, it's just boiled down. If I could just summarize this whole question, I would just say be authentic. That's it. You know, like just be an authentic person, be an authentic follower of Jesus. That's all God's asking for. And everything else he will take care of. So long as we're honest and authentic, he can he can do amazing things in our lives. Like you said, it's it's when we hold on to stuff like, no, I want to keep my hatred of black people. I don't want to let that one go. It's like, why? You know, just let it go. Yeah. Let let God mold you completely into his image, you know. Um, and so 
we can talk more about that, but um, the three minutes are way past. So, <laughs> all right. Um, I'm going to go one more question. One more. We had a few others planned, but we're out of time. So I'm just going to go one more question. And we touched on this on episode one, but I want to give you the opportunity to maybe give us a bit more of a foundation as well, because we touched on it very briefly. So for the next five minutes, I want to talk about this. All right. So my name is Tony and I go to a local Adventist church and there's no other local Adventist churches around because, you know, there's just not that many of us. And my local Adventist church believes in this stuff. It has these belief systems. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't even want to go to church anymore, you know, because it's, it's damaging. Um, but a part of me wonders, is there something I can do to help it change, you know, as a member? And, and we can even imagine Tony as the new pastor, you know, I just got out of college and I'm stuck with this church. Dang it. <laughs> with these people. What can I do? Like, where do I even begin to heal the local church, to free the local church from this nonsense? Um, so... I know you have a list of a few points that were really good. We've talked about these before that, you know, definitely throw them in there. So I'm going to kind of take a different route and try to to go into something probably that is not on your list. But uh, um, what I would say is to be kind of wise and strategic about how to approach this. In the scenario you gave me, where you're the pastor of a church that's steep in LGT. And one of the things I would recommend is um, to take the time to really study the, the, the theology, you know, study its history, understand why this idea has developed in Adventism. Because they didn't just show up out of nowhere. People were trying to, to make sense of legitimate problems and they were coming up with solutions, and unfortunately the solutions weren't really adequate, biblical, they weren't really sound, but they somehow caught on anyway. And there's reasons why they caught on, because people were predisposed to, to, to accept these ideas and, and all these things. So it, it does help to really do your homework and really research these things, look at the history. Um, and understand the logic of the system and understand what the foundational elements are and how they connect. Um, so that, that's something I definitely recommend to, to somebody who's in that position of influence. Um, what I would do next is I would look at, you know, this specific uh, imaginary church that we're talking about. Who are the, the key people in this church that are, are pushing these ideas? Uh, the ones that are kind of bringing everybody else along and determine if these are people that can be worked with or not. Because some people are just dogmatic, you know, they've bought into some theology and they're going to die in that theology no matter what, even if, if God tells them they're wrong, they're just going to stick with it. Uh, so those kinds of people, they're difficult to work with. And the most you could do is try to shield the rest of the church from them and try to, to reason with the church and help them to move away. But if these people are people that can actually be reached, then I would walk, work with each individual personally. Just take the time to get to know them, befriend them, and slowly walk them through uh, the things that you've picked up in your own research. You know, help them to understand where these ideas are coming from, why they're there, what people are trying to accomplish, and and, and how uh, all the things that uh, LGT is, is trying to 
to do. You know, like for example, they're trying to protect the church from a liberal influence. They're trying to answer certain questions about Adventist theology. There's alternative ways to look at these things that are not problematic, that are healthy, and that that are better a better option. And uh, you know, try to reason with with these people because once if you can win over the the thought leaders in in any given church, then you'll be able to influence everybody else as well. So, I don't know. Um, no, I, I think that this helps. Is, I yeah. think those are some really good points, man. Because if we're if we're talking about like where do I begin, like ground zero starting point, um, you don't want to begin by fighting with people. You don't want to begin by turning you know people into martyrs or any of that sort of thing because that's going to stress you out it's going to drive you nuts and it's just going to divide the church it's not going to do anything good but you're right i think a very good starting place is to find the people who are um influencers in the church and identify like can you work with them are they teachable because a lot of times people believe this stuff because they think the only alternative is cheap grace and so if you find that they're teachable um and you can work with them then you know you, you start from there and like you said familiarizing yourself with all of the ins and outs and, and knowing how to offer an alternative that is that is not cheap grace but that is still biblical and and fundamentally celebrates the goodness of god um is key so i'm gonna link a bunch of stuff um in the blog and, and, and probably i don't know if i'll do it in the show notes there'll be way too many show notes but if you go to the blog storage slash blog and look at uh how to free your local church for last generation theology part two It'll all be there. Um, but I agree, man. And um, I think, you know, there is, a, you can transform your local church if the people there are people who are, you know, you can work with. And and one last thing that I would say, um, just to add to this, and this comes from my very first podcast interview on this podcast with Pastor Robert Stankovic. The podcast is titled How to, um, How to Heal a Fanatical Church. So if you want, go back to that episode and listen to that episode because you'll find some really good stuff. Um, but the bottom line that he mentions is focus on the good and the bad eventually discovers it doesn't fit in anymore. So as you focus on mission, as you focus on evangelism, as you focus on serving people, as you bring the people in your church into contact with the drug addicts and with the prostitutes and with the homeless and with the broken, uh, a lot of this stuff, it just, it just kind of snaps out of, they snap out of it, you know? Um, and, and the bad eventually discovers, hey, I don't fit in here anymore and it goes away. So um, anyways, look, we've, it's a minute and 11, an hour and 11 minutes, sorry. So we're going to wrap it up there. Mike, thank you so much, guys. Those of you who are listening, if you want more, if you want to dig deeper and explore these ideas in way more detail, please subscribe to the Story Church Project newsletter at thestorychurchproject.com because I will let you know right away as soon as Mike and I publish those series of conversations that we're going to be having on theology. So make sure you check that out. And uh, yeah, look, thank you for hanging out today and I will catch you next week. Take care and God bless.